Good morning. I'd just like to uh, ask you something. I want to ask you to do something for me. Because in Matthew 13, he talks about the soil. It's the soil that's important to get the seed going. So, uh, and Jesus says to us that without him, we can do nothing. I have discovered that in my life. Without him, you can't do much. So, what I would like you to do is to help me by turning to the person next to you and then please pray for each other uh, to, uh, by, for the grace and the anointing upon that person that you're praying for to hear what the Holy Spirit is going to say to you this morning. So can you pray for each other to hear his voice as you just turn to one another? Amen. The Song of Solomon, or like it says in the Song of Solomon, the Song of Songs, is uh, quite a different book to the rest of Scripture. And I find personally, people who are task-focused, in other words, those who are not lazy, <laughs> well, you're lazy to do the things that you don't like to do, but other than that, you really focus and want to get things done. And so right through the scripture, it tells you what you must do. Here in Song of Songs, it says, you must receive. Which is a little bit difficult for a task-focused person because what must I do in order to receive? You must believe. That's not, that's not enough sweat, eh? We like to sweat a bit. The task-focused people like to achieve things. Well, yeah, it's a different approach. Uh, so I want to ask you, are you a religious Christian? Nice faithful, religious Christian that goes to church and you pray and you read your Bible and you do all the good things, all the right things? Why are you someone who've got an intimate, personal, vibrant relationship with the Lord Jesus? Don't 
just think about the question. Where do you stand? Are you just relaxed in your relationship with Jesus? Or is there fire in your heart? Where do you stand? Do you just do the things that is right that you need to do? Or are you uncomfortable even with the state of your relationship? Although it's good, you want more. Like Paul said in prison, I want to know him. Now it was it's a little bit confusing, that statement, because he's been preaching and leading people to the Lord and healing and been beaten up a few times and left for dead a few times and so on, shipwrecked and all the rest for Jesus. Now he says, I want to know him. You see, because he discovered. You can never get to know Jesus enough in this life. And the more you get to know him, the more you want to know about him. And the more you want to not just know about him, but you want to relate to him. There's another verse that talks about um, relationship with Jesus there in Ephesians 5, where it says, Husbands, love your wives as what? As Christ loved the church. So, we, 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 when we ask, so how does he love the church? We know quickly. We say, well, he laid down his life. Yeah, that is the right answer. But what is the detail of that answer? <coughs> Sorry. And that you find in the Song of Songs. As a real macho man before I got saved, being part of the surplus crowd, it was quite a thing for me to read Song of Solomon and the first line says, kiss me. You talk about a man here. Kiss me with the kisses of your mouth until I understood what it means. So what, what we're going to try and do today is trying to get there. So let's read, first of all, the first um, bit of scripture that we've got here is from John 1. Verse 1, 2, well, it's 13, but I'm only going to read a few verses. It says, In the beginning was the Word. Now, we, we all understand that that's Jesus, right? But what does the Greek really say? Yes, it is Jesus, but it, it's, it expresses Jesus in a different way. It is similar to the word logos. In the, in the beginning was the Logos, the, the, the logic, the beginning, the reason for everything, the logic for everything. In the beginning was the reason for life. That's what it really says. 
What is the reason for life as we carry on? And the word was with God, and the word was God, and he was in the beginning with God. And all these things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. It's a little bit complicated in the ESV, but it means without him nothing happened. M which means what? He wasn't made. He was there all the time. And so if he is the reason for life, because it says, carry on, in him was life, the, the Zoe life, the beginning, the source of life, the life that generates life. That's what that word means. If it's all in him, and he gives a reason for life, it is the next step is to get to know him, isn't it? Well, that's if you want reason for life. That's if you want to stop finding meaning in life, in the things of this world. But that's what the unsafe person is doing all the time. You try and find meaning in life, in your work, and in your sex, and in your sport, and in your uh, eating, and in your all kinds of things that you're trying to find meaning in life, something that's going to make me feel good. Well, nothing is going to work. But if you're trying to find meaning in life in Jesus, in the Logos, in the, in the meaning of life, well, you're going to be satisfied. See verse 12, I jumped to verse 12, it says, But to all who did receive him, did you receive it? Well, if you did, that's a great step. If you haven't received him, Pray for faith. Say, Lord, reveal yourself to me so that I can believe. We were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, we didn't look for Jesus and found him and then we got saved. He came to you by grace. Ephesians tells us, you are saved. By grace. Nothing to do with you. Through faith. And he says, that faith is not of your own. It's a gift of God. And then he wants to emphasize it. So that no one can boast. He came and rescued you out of this sinful state. And he put you into the kingdom of light that we find in Colossians Now that you see and you understand, we can move on to the fact of how do I get to know this Jesus in a way of experiencing him. Not just knowing about him, I want to experience him. And that's why we have to look at Song of Songs that helps us so much to see how to experience Jesus. Not just to worship him, not just to believe in him, but to actually get him close to you. So we are followers of Jesus, and because we're followers of Jesus, we do what the scripture tells us to do, which says to work out this thing that happened to you, this, this born-again experience that he uh, 
created this new creation inside this old body of yours. One day we'll get a new one. But at the moment you'll have to sit with this one. When are you going to get a new body? But before that, you've got him inside you. Now, he wants you to experience him. Without the working of the Spirit, we are spiritually dead. When you got saved, the Spirit of God came inside you. And then later on, or maybe at the same time, depending on where you are, he poured his Spirit over you, so he empowered you. Now you've got a desire to do things for him, but you also got a desire to get to know him. Well, the effect of Jesus' life here on earth exploded after he was filled with the power of the Spirit. You see, before Jesus was baptized in the Jordan and the Spirit of God came upon him, he did nothing, no ministry. But when he was empowered, that's when he started. And by the way, the first task was to overcome temptation. He was led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted. And as he came back victorious, he started ministry. So, we're going now to the third slide. Sorry, I'm jumping a few here. It's from our intimate relationship with Jesus that a desire for empowering spirit will be created. You see, the more you get to know Jesus and you experience that power of his spirit, the more you want to become like him and the more you want to know about him and the more you want to experience him. In Genesis, they lost that intimate fellowship. They had nice times every time, the end of the day. It says in the evening of the day, he came, and they discussed stuff. How did, what did you do today? There were, there were interaction. They were like getting, you know, that's how we get to know people. When you, when you know somebody, your wife or your husband or your child, and they come back from school or you come back from work, you say, how was your day? Why do you ask how was your day? Because I want to know everything about you. That's why. I want to feel what you feel about things. I want to know what you know about things. I want to hear your attitude about things. I want to know you. I want to become one with you. And so, because they sinned, that fellowship was broken. And now, the human mankind is still looking for that intimacy, but they're also scared. And every one of us have to overcome this fear of intimacy. We all struggle with that. We all, we don't, nobody is easily being vulnerable because you know this world. Um, and now we're born with this fear of intimacy, and intimacy is challenging for most people because we have a warped idea of pure intimacy. We, we, you know, if I talk about a kiss to people today, because you're so influenced by all the pornography and all the sexual talk in the day, when I talk about a kiss 
you in your mind think sex. That's how we've been indoctrinated by this world. When I say those, that, that man and that woman are very good friends, definitely from a worldly point of view, ah, they probably sleep together. That's not what the Bible talks about. That's not the intimacy that the Bible is talking about. So you have to renew your mind as far as intimacy is concerned. Because the rape and the pornography and the abusiveness and the jokes uh, about the shape of, of the woman's body specifically distorts and destroys your view of intimacy. So what, how, do you, how do you start with a song of songs? How do you start understanding the book? The first thing you have to do is repent of your view of intimacy because it's all wrong. You miss it. You haven't got it. The Lord needs to come and reveal it to you. We live by revelation. Every Christian lives by revelation. We live by the amazing grace of God that's been poured out upon us, and he reveals things to us. He even reveals to, to you when you sin, the very fact that you're convicted of sin is a sign of God's grace. It's not a sign of God's judgment. He wants to change you. It's not like something to feel terrible about. It's something to rejoice about. Thank you that you point that out in my life. Are you willing to change? Are you willing to grow spiritually? Have you ever thought of what it means to be spiritually? To grow spiritually? It's not to know your Bible better. It's not, it's not information. It's transformation. You must be transformed in the likeness of his son. That means your character. That's what must change. Your character needs to change. So all these distorted, abusive things, we have to set aside and repent of it. And we say, Lord, show us the truth. You are the light. It says in the beginning, it was the light. What is light? It's truth. It's, it's, it's meaning for life. What is the true meaning of life? That's what he's trying to tell us. And so that's what we need to long for. So we must be aware that we are controlled by what you believe. You are controlled by your culture. Today it is the cultural acceptable things to have sex before marriage. It's acceptable. It's like weird if you're not. We mustn't get controlled by our culture. We must get controlled by the Spirit and reading your word and praying and interaction and getting to know Jesus and becoming more sensitive to be convicted of sin. That is what we're looking for. So building an intimacy is learning to communicate every moment of the day with Jesus. Every moment of the day, you can do it. It takes time because we're so wrapped up in ourselves, in our circumstances, because we still believe we are the center of the universe. Everything revolves around me. Even if you do nice things, it's still revolves around me because if I do nice things to Peter, I, in my back of my mind, he must be nice to me because it's all about me. 
Isn't it like that? It's all about me. Now, we have to move away from this all about me. And we must move really in actions and in thought. It's all about him. It's all about him. So, when we got saved, we became newlyweds. That's what happened. We married to Jesus. We are the bride. The church, it says so clearly in scripture, is the bride. There's no doubt about that. But in the, in the Jewish way, when they got married, it's not like they dated for years and then got married. No, it was organized. You didn't even know the woman or the man. You haven't even met him before. Maybe briefly, uh, according to the Jewish custom, for a, for a couple of hours, more minutes, and then you're married. So you don't know your new spouse. So it takes some time to get to know each other. It takes some time for us to get to know the ways of Jesus. That's why we panic so much. That's all. That's why you're in, always in a state of panic. Whenever things are changed, you panic. You're out of control. And I must be in control, isn't it? Yes. I must be in control because God doesn't quite know what he's doing. I must be in control. And if I'm not in control, I'm in a panic. No, you have to get to know his ways. And the more you get to know his ways, how he actually works in your life, the more you calm down, the more secure you become. Because ultimately that's what he wants. He wants you to find his, your security in him. Not in your job, not in your work, not in your friends, not in your own ability, not in your capacity to figure things out and get all the answers in your mind because you've got such a bright mind. That's not where, it's fine to do that. I mean, mustn't, but use your brain. Christians must definitely use their brain. But that's not ultimately your source of your security. You see, it's degrees of things. And the higher, higher security must always be him. He is in control. Many Christians come and they say, I really just want to live for Jesus. And it's wonderful. It's really great. But what goes in their minds when they say that? Do they know that when they are sold out for Jesus, that bad things are going to happen to them? That people are going to reject them? That they're even going to fail in some things? You see, if you've got a wrong idea about living for Jesus, you're going to be terribly disappointed. You're going to suffer. So let's eventually come to... Um, Song of Songs from verse 5. We're going to do from 5 to 
14. I am very dark, but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedah, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze at me because I'm dark, because the sun has looked upon me. First of all, because we in South Africa, it's got nothing to do with the, with, with the color of your skin. It's clear. She worked in the sun. And in this lovely country of ours, when you work in the sun, your skin gets affected. So the girl of our song is confident, but a humble girl. She is shy, but is conscious of her beauty. She knows what she's got, but at the same time she's a bit shy. There are things in her past life that she is ashamed of, and yet she shows she's beautiful in the eyes of the shepherd king. Much the same point can be made in the life of every Christian. You know you're saved, so you've got a bit of beauty inside you, but you're very much aware of where you come from. You're very much aware of the sins that you're still involved at this stage of your life. So the delight in Jesus may be combined with shame concerning yourself. You're excited about Jesus, but you know you're quite not quite altogether there yet. So the same time there was this woman wants closeness to the shepherd king. She knows she's beautiful, but she's conscious about the neglect, the fact that she was spending so much time in the sun and it, and it damaged her, sun, uh, her skin. So her skin is badly burnt. And that little bit about Kida was a nomadic tribe there in, in Israel that um, lived in black tents. So that's why it says it's like dark, like that. And Solomon's curtains, just to explain that one, it was also dark in color. So she is comparing her skin with that kind of darkness. So we, let's look, look at verse 6. My mother's son were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. So now we spoke about intimacy. We spoke about just the previous verse about fear of rejection. Uh, and uh, inferiority. Now we're looking at unforgiveness and busyness. That's what we see here in verse 6. My mother's sons were angry with me. When people treated you nastily and terribly, what must your response be? Forgiveness. Not grudging, not holding against them, not thinking about it forever. No. How, how, how fit are you as far as your forgiveness are concerned? Do you forgive easily? Seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, years? Where do you stand? Something to think about. You see, that's, all these things is a sign of your spirituality. 
That's how spiritual you are. All these signs is a sign of how mature you are as a Christian. It's not so much the knowledge, but the application. The application, that's the thing that really scores points in heaven. Not the knowledge. You know, Jesus says, build your treasure in heaven. How do you build your treasure in heaven? Increase your capacity to forgive quickly. Quickly. Not to suppress it. You forgive quickly. You forgive and you pray for that person as if they are your best friend. If you can get there, you know, great, I've got it. And it's good to actually admit to yourself when you achieved some victory over sin. It's not boasting. It's rejoicing. Hallelujah, I've overcome this. Thank you, Lord. That encourage you to keep that victory. I'm not going to go back there now. No, I forgive quickly. So I'm over that now. So some people, ex uh, uh, some painful experience in the past has spoiled the girl's skin, like, like, like I just mentioned. Some of the troublesome troubles came from those who sh should have loved her. That's, that is the worst, the most difficult thing to forgive. You forgive the guy that you don't know that like cut in front of you in the road and even shouted at you and so on. It's not too difficult to forgive him or her. But now the people close to you, your family, your friends, people that you have experienced some kind of relationship with in your life, people that you actually trusted, that, that you thought are your, on your side. And now you have to be shocked the way they treated you now. Now I have to forgive them. Well, if you want to get close to Jesus, that's what you have to learn. Unforgiveness and a close relationship with Jesus doesn't fit. It's not going to work. We have to forgive quickly. Christians may find that it is when they seek closeness to the Lord Jesus, even those close to them do not understand them. You know that? If you re I'm talking about fellow Christians. But all of a sudden, by God's grace, he's put this desire in your heart and you really want to get close to Jesus. And all of a sudden, you pray more and you long to do more for him and you spend more time with him and you even start singing songs with your own croaky voice by yourself just because you want to worship him. And the people, other Christians around you think, now, what's wrong with you now? You're a little bit over the top, aren't you? When you start talking about Jesus in the middle of a conversation where everybody else is talking about the sport and the politics of the day, and you, you come in and say, I'm so glad that Jesus is in control of this whole situation. They don't like that. They'd rather like you to come with them and, and agree that the government is terrible and that, that they are wicked and that, and that we must pray for their salvation as if it's going to change anything. No. Then the people are upset with you. I remember once somebody said to me, 
when I just got saved in those fiery days, he lasted for about 10 years, he said to me, do you always have to talk about Jesus in the conversation? And as a Christian, I thought, what's wrong with you? I'll have to pray for you. See, Christians may be ill-treated by fellow Christians. That is, that is a fact. Unfortunately, we've seen it over the history of the world, the Christian history. It's, it is very sad, but it's true. Christians can be spiritually dead, saved, but spiritually dead, and have little experience of the anointing in everyday life. If you feel you there, may the Lord have grace upon you and bring you out of that and put a desire in your heart to have more of him because it's all about him and it's not about you. The further we move away from a legalistic, religious, moralistic approach, the more confusing we become to the religious Christian. They can't understand what, is, what, what you're on about. They can't understand you in that level at all. And you must be able to cope with that. It's not like, oh, these people are all against me. They're supposed to be because they are not on the same side as you. That's why. They were not on the same side of Jesus when he walked in this world. Even his own disciples, like Peter, said to him, no, don't, don't go to the cross. Don't have to go and die for these things because he didn't understand. Well, the work to which every Christian is called may well be compared to the working in a vineyard, but our first duty is to attend to our spiritual health. Do you attend to your spiritual health? We've got many, 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 many masters in the Christian church. And they do all kinds of things. And it's great. It's, we need them. But do you care about your own personal, intimate relationship with Jesus? Can you still feel him? Even without you doing something. Without you, how dependent are you upon doing things for Jesus to feel saved? How dependent are you? Is it so important? Or can you just sit and pray and worship him for a whole day and do nothing? Ch give yourself a challenge for that one. See, the girl has neglected herself. And the Christian will well not meet their own um, spiritual enriching because they're so concerned about other people. So what must we do? We must seek Jesus only. We must seek Jesus. Tell me, verse 7, you whom my soul loves, where you pastor your flock. She's asking now, where are you going? Because now I neglected my vineyard. Now 
I want to run to you again. Where you make the lie down at noon, well, why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? The companions. She wants to know Jesus himself. I don't want to listen to this great preacher or this wonderful Christian. And sometimes when people talk about good preachers, I say to myself, oh, it gets so close. You almost worship the preacher. You must worship the king. And this preacher said that, and th that preacher said that. That's why I asked you in the beginning. Hear what the Lord says to you. Not what I'm telling you. Don't go and tell people the preacher said this and the preacher said that. What did the Lord say to you? What did Jesus say to you in your heart? That's the thing that counts. You don't give anybody else glory. Every good preacher got all his information from heaven itself. Straight from Jesus by his Holy Spirit. Don't quote the preacher. This is what the Lord said to me. You see, and when you say, this is what the Lord said to me, the next step is, now I'm going to apply that. Because Jesus told me directly, this is what I must do. This is what I've been convicted of. Not the preacher. Preacher's nothing. It's like a donkey. You remember the donkey? It's the same. Don't lift up the preacher of anything. Now, they talk about companions. She wants to close with a lover. The best remedy to such shame of is neglecting herself is to seek to be yet closer to the shepherd king. You see, because now she neglected the vineyard, what is the option that, that we can learn from that? When you really messed up, what do you do? Feel sorry for yourself and tell yourself how terrible you are. No, that's sin upon sin. You don't score points at all. You don't build treasure in heaven by telling yourself how terrible you are. It doesn't help. It's self-pity. It's again, just focus on yourself. No, you run to your shepherd king. You run to the source of life. And you say to him, Jesus, my king, I committed this sin. I did that. I neglected you. I drifted away. I want to be close to you. That's your response. That's your response. Might be a bit of a heavy on you, but I want to tell you this. Whenever you feel sorry about of, your, of yourself, you're sinning. If you ever feel sorry about yourself, you're worshipping self. That self, by the way, is dead. If, you, if you're born again, Christian is dead. So you worship something that doesn't even exist. It's just in your mind. The effect of that is just in your mind. You know, a sinful nature is like the alcoholic who drinks a bottle of wine or whatever alcohol he drinks. And when it's empty, he throws the bottle away. But the effect of the alcohol is still very much in him or in her. That's our sinful nature. The effect of the sinful nature is still in you. 
You still have to renew your mind. It still have programmed your mind to think in certain ways. Although it's dead. Because you're a new creation. You can't be a new creation when the old one is still there. Then it's not new. It's an extra one. But the effect is still very much visible in your behavior. And so, she says she wants to get close to the shepherd king himself. We know that Jesus will not deal with us as deceitful and deceptive people. You know that. So what is the reason why you don't run back to him when you fall away? It's because you're disappointed in yourself. And again, it's the focus on self. No. Stop worshipping yourself. Run to the one that's worth being worshipped. Tell him, that's where I am. That's what I've done. I need you more than ever before. So you run to Jesus. And then the girl asks, why should I be treated like these other women? Why must I don't want the companions, like I said earlier on. I don't want to have a relationship with a preacher. That mustn't be my main relationship. You see, because you find preachers saved as they are, but they don't preach Jesus. They preach about how much you can use Jesus. I'm so grateful that I've never heard any message from this pulpit, from this church, in that direction. In fact, when I've been asked to preach, I thought, wow, they've got such good preachers, now they ask me. <laughs> anyway, but there are churches that preachers, and, and they, I don't know why, but they're always so keen to get on television and on, 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 on uh, YouTube. They're always there. It's like they pay to be in the front line. And they want to tell you how to use Jesus for your own glory. And in the end, Jesus is your servant. Because you must do that. And you must just do this and just do that and just do that. And then you'll be the so-called victorious Christian. <sighs> and then you'll make lots of money. It's always money. You'll get make money as well. As if money can bring happiness. You ask very wealthy people. Are you happy because you've got so much money? No, look at all my troubles. Because now I must spend more time protecting all the stuff I've got. More security. More alarms and things I must use. No, I do not deny themselves in order to live. And say, See, that's what they do. They, do not de they don't preach this very, very vital line. It's to deny themselves in order to live for Christ alone, so that Christ may live in them. If you listen to a message and there's not much denying of yourself, it's just always encouraging, lifting up how wonderful you are, don't listen. It's not going to be good for you in the end. Because the self they're talking about is there as that dead self. 
You want to resurrect the sinful nature. Now, look at this verse in Daniel 5. And you have praised gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God whose hand is your breath, whose are all your, and who knows all your ways, you have not honored him. He holds our breath in his hand. But you're trying to find life in business and in people. How much people like me. How much I can do in a day. How much um, a success I can be in my sport. And all kinds of other things. How, value, how I find my value in all kinds of other things. But you don't recognize what the creator of the universe thinks of you. And that's what we find in the Song of Songs. That's, how, that's where we find he loves you. We must know the Christian history. If you do not know, O oh most beautiful among women, follow the tracks of the flock and pasture your goats beside the shepherd's tent. She says, he says to her, follow the, 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 um, the tracks. What was me do? We look at what previous Christians have done. We look at the life that Paul and Peter and those people lived, and we follow that as example. We look at Hebrews 11 and see how they took a stand for Jesus. We look at Christians right through their life, Luther and Calvin, with all their mistakes and what they stood for, and Knox and all these people from the past. We, we, we look at how uh, Elliot, the Oakley went to America, and after a week or two, three, they, they killed him. And we look at that kind of attitude and we say, that is what I must do. That's how I get closer to the Lord. We don't look at anything else. We must first, so the first thing she must do is she must follow the tracks of the flock. Um, so the second thing, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is not a theory, it's a lifestyle. So we do, we do apply that every day of our lives. We go along the same route that others have gone before, like I said earlier on. So the second thing she must do is feed the young goats. You must actually... How many people have you led to the Lord? How many people have you nurtured in your life? Not to score points, I'm asking that question, do you do that? Do you do that? Or you just come here and sit every Sunday and wonderful preaching and go home and go to your small group and it's wonderful time and you share all your troubles and they pray for you and you go home? That's very much all about me. There are predestined good works planned for you to do according to Ephesians 2, verse 9 and 10. And that's what we must desire to do for the Lord. We live for the Lord. You don't... We will build our treasure in heaven in that way. And the third thing this uh, lady must do is to stay near the tents of the shepherds. Christians uh, will mean that they stay close to the places and people where you get spiritual food and encouragement. Read things that tells, get you closer to the Lord. Don't read the news. <laughs> it makes you depressed. And there's nothing that you can do about it. We know that we must pray for the government. We don't want to know the detail of their sin. 
We don't want to know the detail of their sinfulness. We know they steal the money. We don't want to have the detail of it. We don't want to know. There we trust the Lord. And we pray for them. And we don't read all the depressing things of yourself. So we, we feel overwhelmed by our weaknesses and our past failures and we do not focus on yourself. You see, like I keep on saying, move away from that. Stop complaining about the little bit of suffering that you go through this life. I can tell you what, really, if you compare your life and all the unpleasant things that are happening to you with all the great saints of the past, you're going to lose big time. Just remember, when you go through suffering, what is he trying to do to you? He's changing you. He's changing your what? He's changing you in his likeness. It doesn't happen through blessing. It happens through suffering, unfortunately. So when you serious about your relationship with Jesus, the Song of Songs will help you not to fall into a religious way of doing things. So, how much time have I got? Okay, right. Uh, I, I didn't check the starting time. So, here we go. We learn to relate to Jesus as our bridegroom. In Song of Songs 1 verse 9, it says, Compare my love to the, ma to the mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your, your neck with strings of jewels. Others we will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. Well, it's not like you look like a horse. It is like, what is the strength? That is what we're talking about. You know, in, in those days, horses were very important. Just like today, cars are very important. But now, she looks at, he, he looks at her and say, you see the strength. He compares it with like a Ferrari. Like strong. That's what we look at. That's why they use in ancient times, you, you are very strong. Strong to do what? Strong to resist temptation. That's what Jesus sees in you. He sees the power in you because of his spirit in you to resist temptation. He thinks uh, the ornaments in the jewels, the ornaments are, um, are like a band around the head, a little thingy there that looks nice, and one down here. So what is it? It's the love, the joy, and the peace of the kingdom. That's what it is. And he sees that in her. He sees that in you. He sees that is beautiful in you. He sees, let, let's just go, sorry, I'll, uh, I'll go to the end here because the time is gone. So let's just look at this. In the Song of Songs, the girl praises the man more than he sees. So what, is, what does he see? Well, he sees beautiful things. And this is why, why does Jesus love us? Why does the shepherd king see in you? When we were born again, we received the Holy Spirit. Then we ask for the power, and he sees that inside you. And he, he, he loves that what he's done inside you. That's why he loves you. Not because of your beautiful body. That's going to fall away. He loves that's what's inside you. He looks at us and sees the strength we've got to resist and overcome sin. He sees that. That's what he loves. 
We are beautiful to him because we believe we are loved by the Father. He is the source of our love. We are beautiful to him because we believe our sins are forgiven, because Jesus paid for my sin. Therefore, I'm full of joy. We, we are beautiful to him because we believe that we can do all things that he puts before us, that we have peace. So you, because you've got power, because you've got joy, because you've got love, he, lo he loves you because you've got that. It's inside you. We are beautiful to him because we believe in the chain of events, his predestined plan. You are called, those who, those who are called, those who are, um, I, where are we now? What are those three things in Romans? Justified, and because you're justified, you're going to be glorified. So he, see, he sees that already, and he says glorified. Glorified is past tense, which means what? He sees that as if it's done already. There is no doubt you're going to be glorified. You better start believing it. And the more you believe it, the more the process will continue. So we are beautiful because we have given him admiration in our worship. We are beautiful to him because we believe that the fruit of the Spirit is already evident in your life, believe it or not. But the fruit of the Spirit is already shining out of you. You're already reflecting the glory of God. So what do we say in the end? We are beautiful to him because we think of him always and how much he loves and accepts us. So, just for a minute, turn to the person next to you. Don't take longer than a minute. Just tell them quickly the one thing that stood out for you and then you pray that they will apply it in their lives. Just one minute. 